Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and I have the real pleasure, because I've been looking forward to this conversation for... Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and I have the real pleasure, because I've been looking forward to this conversation for so long, to be talking to the author of Fragmented Democracy, Medicaid Federalism, and Unequal Politics, the book is published this year by Cambridge University Press, and the author is Jamila Michener. Jamila, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Thank you yeah. for having me. Yeah, it's such a treat. Um, we have been talking about this for a while. I know you have been so busy with the book, and, and it's it's just on the verge of, of coming out. So congratulations on the book. Thank you. Maybe before we talk about it and all of the great stuff in it, uh, you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I am an assistant professor at Cornell University, and I am affiliated with the Center for the Study of Inequality and with lots of other institutes and centers at Cornell. Uh, I study race and poverty and public policy in American politics. And you are a New Yorker. I am. That's the most important thing. I'm from right. Queens. In addition to all of that, you are a, a New York uh, City, uh, uh, we, something that we will always take credit for. <laughs> so let's talk about this book. Um, your book is is topically about Medicaid, but but it's really about the the political lives of those who are eligible and and often receiving Medicaid. Um, before we get to those people of the book, which I want to talk about. I wonder if you'd give us a bit of a refresher on Medicaid itself. Um, how does it work? Uh, give us give us the short version of, of the program itself before we get into its politics. Sounds good. Medicaid, uh, which people often confuse with Medicare, is actually quite different. So Medicaid is not the health care program that we provide for people who are 65 and above. That's Medicare. Medicaid is what some people uh jokingly called the friendless stepchild of Medicare. Um, And it is a program that is specifically designed to provide health care to vulnerable Americans, right? So people who are low income, primarily overwhelmingly children, over 50% of Medicaid beneficiaries in many states are children, um, people who have severe disabilities, uh, severe enough that Uh, and medical issues severe enough that they would not be able to uh, maintain private coverage or pay for the cost of private coverage themselves. But overwhelmingly, most Medicaid beneficiaries are people who are are low income, who are either below the poverty line or or very close to it. Your your book is is also about federalism and geography. Uh, Would you talk a little bit about why geography matters? Uh, to a program like Medicaid, you know, why why it might matter that you're a Medicaid beneficiary uh, in New York City or upstate New York or elsewhere in the country? Why is this relevant for the discussion of federalism? 
Yeah, well, the primary reason is because Medicaid is designed as an intergovernmental program. So it's not a program that is just fully funded by the federal government. It's a program that is primarily funded by the federal government, but then also significantly funded by state governments. And because uh, the, the national government, the federal government, and state governments share responsibility for funding Medicaid, they also share a responsibilities in terms of designing Medicaid. And so Medicaid doesn't look, dif- doesn't look the same in, in every place. It actually can look dramatically different from state to state. And so where you live really determines what you get with a program like Medicaid. And that holds on the state level, but it also holds on sub-state levels in terms in places like counties and cities, because states also give responsibility for administering Medicaid and for implementing the policies passed at the federal and state level on more local levels. So really, it's not just that what state you live in matters, but what county you live in, what city you live in. And in the book, I get down to what neighborhood you live in. All of these things shape your ability to access the benefits that Medicaid can offer, and they shape the experience that you have when you do access those benefits. So given these differences, the differences in in where you are living, where you reside, uh, you go about testing whether variation in state Medicaid policy relates not just to, to health outcomes, but also democratic political outcomes. Um, how did you do this exactly? And, and what did you find first about the state uh, Medicaid? Well, then we'll talk later about uh, local and, and county differences. Um, how does Medicaid relate to political participation? Yeah, I really thought about this and approached this from two different perspectives. One was qualitatively talking to people and trying to get a sense of what their experiences were. And to be honest, this is what first really alerted me to the importance of state variation. I mean, I knew that Medicaid was an intergovernmental program going into this, and I knew that it would be different in different states, but I didn't realize that Medicaid beneficiaries would understand that as profoundly as they did, and that they would make sense of it in terms of what it meant for their political status. And so I started to talk to Medicaid beneficiaries all over the country in 13 different states, in Michigan, in Georgia, in Vermont, in New York, in Illinois, and so on and so forth. Initially, not really thinking anything about where they live, just thinking, oh, it's important to get geographic variation. And when they talked to me, what they told me was a lot about how Medicaid was in their state. There was a lot of focus on Michigan Medicaid or Illinois Medicaid or New York Medicaid. And it jumped out to me that place mattered for people. And I listened to what they told me about the specific ways it mattered. And then I I tested using larger quantitative data from from large end surveys like the Fragile Families and Child Wellbeing Survey, which is um, a survey that comes from a group of scholars at Princeton. And I looked into these surveys and I wanted to see if Medicaid beneficiaries in different states had different experiences such that the relationship between Medicaid and political participation, whether that be voting or participating in a demonstration or rally or joining a political group, I really try to think about participation broadly. But I tried to understand whether that relationship between Medicaid and participation 
would vary across states, right? And what I found was that overall that relationship is negative. So Medicaid is having a negative effect on participation. It's making it less likely when you're enrolled in Medicaid that you're going to vote or participate in any other way. And this is, we can control for a whole range of things. We can do all manner of statistical finagling. That relationship holds on a sort of overall level, but it varies across states so that in some states, it appears that there's a a much stronger negative relationship, like New York, unfortunately, California, Virginia. In others, there's no relationship. Medicaid doesn't appear to be affecting political participation. And in others still, there's a positive relationship. So what I found is that overall story of a negative relationship is really dependent on place. And it it's connected to, to decisions that states are making about policy. And, and why exactly? Um, controlling for all of these other factors addresses some of the, the, the other explanations for this. But what about Medicaid? What is the mechanism here uh, that you suspect is resulting in this uh, reduction in, in across the board, but a, a particularly large reduction in political participation in some uh, state Medicaid system? So how does this work? Yeah, the mechanism is really, it's an interpretive mechanism. It's about messages that Medicaid beneficiaries receive from their state governments about their political value, about the value of their voice, about the value of engaging or participating more generally, right? So If you live in a state that, for example, one of the things I find is that in states that take away benefits, that cut or reduce benefits, Medicaid beneficiaries are less likely to participate. So if you live in a state where you have something, you have a benefit, you're able to go to the doctor and see the doctor, and suddenly that is taken away, there are signals that sends you about your worth, your value. There's a powerlessness. A lot of the beneficiaries I talk to express feeling powerlessness. There's nothing we can do. They can give it, they can take it away, they can do whatever they want and we're powerless. When you're consistently sent messages from the very state, the very government that you're supposed to be going to to engage politically, that there's very little control over what you can do. And it's related to a really fundamental set of resources, right? People think of health as something that is important enough that they would expect help from the government. And when that doesn't come, and not only does it not come, but it's given, it's taken away, there are things you can get, there are other things you can't, it feels arbitrary and capricious. People get the message, they get the idea that this is a realm where you're powerless. And that, when it's true in that realm of Medicaid, translates for people into what they can or cannot do in the realm of politics. Now, as you noted earlier, you also moved to the local and, and even neighborhood level to, to see how counties administer Medicaid. I wonder if you talk about the, the analysis you do about Chicago and the differences that exist across Chicago neighborhoods. How does this story uh, that you're just describing play out uh, within a city like Chicago in the, the most local of local neighborhoods? Yeah, Chicago is there to my heart. I, I lived there for almost seven years while I was in graduate school. And I did some interviews there. And one of the things that stood out to me when I talked to people who lived in places like Chicago is that when I asked them about Medicaid, they didn't just talk about the state of Illinois, and they didn't just talk about 
the federal government, they talked about their neighborhoods. They talked about where they lived. So when I said, tell me what you think of when you think of Medicaid or tell me what Medicaid is like, they mentioned the local clinic up the street and how difficult it was going there because of the crime or because of, you know, the, the intravenous drug users that often hung out there or because there was a robbery that had happened there recently, they very much thought about Medicaid in terms of place. Because in order to utilize the benefits that they received via Medicaid, they had to go places. They had to go to public hospitals or go to clinics or go to public assistance agencies. And those places were located in communities. And those communities shaped the way that beneficiaries thought about what they were getting. So we might think of neighborhoods and Medicaid as these completely separate things, but from an experiential perspective, from the perspective of people experiencing using the program, those things get blended together. Now that relates to some of the stuff that I was talking about around states, because decisions that states make at the state level about how to deal with issues like urban inequality, about how to fund cities, those decisions actually shape what's going on with Medicaid and Medicaid beneficiaries. So a state might think of these things as completely separate. But if you have cities that are deteriorating, neighborhoods that are deteriorating, and in those neighborhoods are people that are utilizing a program like Medicaid, how that program affects those people will be different when those people are housed in neighborhoods that are suffering from the deleterious effects of urban inequality, right? So the idea there is that a people-based program like Medicaid, that you're supposed to, you know, individuals receive Medicaid, right? It's people-based. And place-based policies that, that shape what happens in places, we can often think about them as separate. And in the book, I make the argument that those things work together. And that we need to be thinking about Medicaid beneficiaries as individuals and the policies that we create for them. But also we need to be thinking about places and the places that those individuals are embedded in and what that means, not just for their health and for the health benefits they can have access to, but for their their lives as as citizens, for their incorporation in our political community. Now, apropos to this, you, you talk to a lot of people in the book, and Chapter 7 uh, of the book describes uh, what the political advocacy around Medicaid and how that looks. Um, who are the type of people that you, you interviewed and talked to, and, and what did they tell you about the, the politics of, of, of the sort of the adv- advocacy for those that have Medicaid? Um, that, that happens in Chapter 7. Would you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I most of the Medicaid beneficiaries that I talked to were not people who would describe themselves as advocates or activists. But I was lucky enough to encounter a handful of beneficiaries, um, mostly because I looked for them. Um, and I, I was lucky enough to talk to a handful of people who are advocates and activists. And so One thing that someone recently asked me is, well, these these people are are not in the majority. It's not the average Medicaid beneficiary that's out there being an activist. So why are they so important? And one of the reasons why I thought it was really important to find people who were very involved, who were going before their state capital, who were testifying to state legislators, legislators, who were engaging in protests and rallies and organizing and and working on grassroots mobilization is precisely because those people are rare. 
And if we can understand the path that leads some beneficiaries to engage, then we can get a sense of why that path isn't as well-traveled as we might like it to be when we think about the kind of full democratic inclusion and participation that we would ideally want to see in our country. And so I was especially interested in that chapter and thinking about what does federalism mean for the most engaged beneficiary? Because if it can present challenges and opportunities for even the most engaged beneficiaries, then that gives us a sense of the scope of its of its impact, right? And what I found was that, you know, there are some opportunities that federalism creates. It gives activist beneficiaries an opportunity to have multiple venues that they can go to when they want to try to see um, some sort of policy change. It allows them to draw on examples from other states and other places in order to design their mobilization strategies and honestly, often for for inspiration. And so there are some opportunities created by federalism for, for activists and advocates, but overwhelmingly there are constraints that federalism introduces, even for the people that are most politically engaged, right? It makes it difficult for them to communicate with one another across place. It requires a pretty narrow focus. You have to know your one state really well, and you have to be able to focus there. So it kind of impedes sort of cross-state mobilization, a kind of national mobilization. And honestly, it wears beneficiaries down. And sometimes when the most activist people find out that things are better in other places, they leave. And so there's this drain um, to of folks going to other states. And that's not something that happens on average, but it's something that happens when people are acutely aware of the differences across states. And this is the case for for activists and advocates. Um, And so there are all sorts of downsides that come even to the people who are most engaged because of federalism. And in that chapter, I really try to dig into what does this mean, even under the ideal scenario in terms of the kind of person who is invested and committed to political action. Now, Medicaid has always been uh, tenuous uh, in Washington. Um, but but that's even more so now, and and uh, we're recording this during the the discussion about the the president's new budget. I wonder if what if we were to look ahead, what's what's coming for the politics of Medicaid? Uh, are the the changes and and some of the attacks on Medicaid going to change the politics, or or are they going to exacerbate things that you have already observed in the book? So look, look ahead for us. Yeah, that's a that's a difficult question, in part because I, I want to be optimistic and I want to say that that there are good things down the road, but I can't exactly say that. I think it really depends on, frankly, it depends on the degree of political mobilization that occurs in response to some of these moves. I think that one of the things that is worrisome for me about the politics of Medicaid going forward is that there's this attempt to what I call welfareize Medicaid, right? So in general, Americans think negatively about welfare and they have all sorts of stereotypes and tropes and those are connected to race and class. And and programs that are thought of as welfare don't tend to do well in our 
American social policy landscape. And for a long time, Medicaid has maintained some distance from those kinds of programs because it's healthcare, right? Um, and there's a, an, a move, I think, happening now to treat Medicaid a lot more like traditional welfare programs have been treated. And I don't think that's a good signal. So Kentucky being allowed to implement work requirements um, so that Medicaid beneficiaries have to work a certain number of hours a week or prove that they're doing sort of work-related activity in order to receive benefits. Um, And a number of other states that are proposing things like time limits and drug testing and all sorts of uh, state-level policies that the President admi- presidential administration or the present the current executive administration has given the okay for and and to the extent that these things are implemented, it, they send what I was talking about before signals or messages that sort of will amplify the negative effects of that interpretive mechanism that I talked about earlier. Right. So if you have to work, if you have to fill out a lot of paperwork to prove you're working, if you have to take drug tests, if, if there are time limits, the notion is you're getting something that you don't deserve and we want to make you earn it. We want to make you prove yourself, show that you're deserving. And it really sends a signal that is politically disempowering. However, if there is a real response to these policies, a real attempt to mobilize folks to push back, to push against this, um, then there's an opportunity for the present, uh, what feels like a tax on Medicaid, to be mobilizing, to draw people into the fight, um, and to, to kind of sensitize them to the importance of these political issues. And that can expand um, the kind of positive effects of Medicaid you know, the other thing is to the extent that, 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 that Medicaid expansion continues, at least in the states that have decided to expand, that's a bit more of a positive story because there is research that's come out in the last year that shows that Medicaid expansion um, is associated with, with increased participation, right? And that comports with what I show, which is that in states that are generous and states that are expanding, we don't see the same negative downward effects of Medicaid. And so, There may be some places where Medicaid is expanding, Medicaid is becoming a more generous program, and we're going to see improved participation. And in other places where Medicaid is implementing work requirements or drug testing, we're going to see potentially a downward um, effect on participation. And so what I really see when I look out into the future is exacerbated inequality um, associated with the Medicaid program, political inequality, in addition to economic and health inequality. And the only way that changes is if there's a response to the policies that are presently being forwarded um, that can move us in a different direction. Yeah, the the, the must, must read uh, new book uh, from Jamila is Fragmented Democracy, Medicaid Federalism and Unequal Politics, published by Cambridge University Press in 2018. Jamila, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.